everyone deserves the benefits of a modern connected life. That is the core purpose of why we do what we do. If you can master software capabilities and you master in a commercial business the curiosity and the interest to develop new business models, there you can anchor your future. I believe in the wisdom of the crowd. The more diverse the crowd is, the more independent the crowd is, the more we can contribute. So I'm always looking for ways to add value. Our ambition is to build what we call a CODIS architecture. Converged, open, intelligent, secure, and distributed. The best engineers, the best software developers must be a stampede coming to try and work for MTN. If I can achieve that, I'll be super excited. This is Siana TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Charles Mola PC, who's the group CIO and CTO of uh, MTN out of Johannesburg, South Africa. A very warm welcome, Charles. Hendrik, thank you so much. Um, thanks for having me. And I'm super excited to really participate and, and share my insights with the CIO Net community. Charles, you are a Bachelor of Commerce, Master in Business Leadership and you have several executive titles from INSEAD, from Columbia Business School, from Harvard Business School. You started your career 24 years ago as a system administrator, but soon you joined uh, Telcom SA and then MTN, where you have now been working for almost 20 years. Uh, first in Nigeria, then in Zambia, now in South Africa. So Charles, tell us a bit more about yourself. What is your background? Where are you from and how did you arrive in this position as Group CTO or CIO? Yeah, look, um, it's, it's been a long journey. And I guess, um, like many of us, you know, I, I just grew up in a very small, you know, small, small village. Um, you know, you know mm -hmm. it's, it's about, about, about an hour away from Pretoria, which is our capital city in South Africa. Um, did my primary school there. Um, and then, of course, finished off my high school um, in that village. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a brother to three older sisters, um, raised uh, mm -hmm. by a very strong uh, single mother. I'm very excited to say that because she was just quite remarkable in my life. Then I went to go and study at um, one of the top universities in South Africa, University of the Witwatersrand. Um, I did a uh, Bachelor of Commerce. Um, and I guess the intention initially was maybe to do you know, to go the commercial route, you know, do marketing. So I specialized in marketing and then information systems. Uh, I was fortunate mm -hmm. during that period that I was approached by a financial service organization, Liberty Life, to be precise, uh, for me to, to, for them to sponsor my studies. Um, but okay. the only problem, of course, the caveat for the sponsorship was that I must now stay in the, in the technical stream. Uh, of course, my ambition was that eventually I'm going to work for an advertising agency or I'm going to marketing and do creativity. Uh, I joined them, I worked for them for six years, um, and since then I've been trying to get back uh, to my marketing and commercial ambitions. Um, but of course I worked for an organization and then I joined the fixed line operator, did six years there. Uh, very excited about my role, I mean I was very responsible at a very young age, uh, looking after the broader data center infrastructure. Um, you, know, you know, a huge number of people under my leadership. Then moved into MTN, um, lucky to jump off from South Africa straight into Nigeria. Uh, assigned to work there on a two, you know, taken to work on a two-year assignment. Uh, I enjoyed it so much that I ended up doing about seven years. Um, initially starting off mm -hmm. as a general manager, uh, building IT infrastructure, uh, data center infrastructure, IT ops. 
uh, the organization, you know, liked the work that I did and then eventually gave me a role to do the, the chief information officer role uh, for MTN Nigeria. At the time, the biggest uh, CIO profile, I guess, in the group, uh, large growth in terms of subscribers. Today, that market sees almost 70 plus million cu customers you know, in terms of sub base. Mm -hmm. So $200 million CAPEX as a CIO. Um, enjoyed it very much, uh, focused on terms of transforming the business. Um, and then I came back to the company and said, look, I'm itching for a new assignment. Um, again, uh, the company responded favorably, placed me into a very exciting role as a CEO. You know, you know, I've always thought one day I want to run my own operation and test myself and test my capabilities. They did that. Um, I did three years there. Uh, tough at the beginning, of course, you know, new CEO trying to do a lot, uh, trying to find a little bit of a you know, proper footing in terms of the focus areas. Um, you know, so 2015, 2016, 2017, and 2018, I finished. But I'm very happy to tell you, Hendrik, that I came out of that market uh, as voted as the best uh, uh, MTN CEO across all our 21 markets as the best performing CEO in 2018. And also mm -hmm. more and more excited when my operation was voted the best performing operation as MTN Zambia. And again, I mean, this is a very small operation, 6 million subscriber base compared to the big tier one markets. Uh, very less resources, so one had to be creative, you know, in terms of how you mobilize the team and how to actually construct the usage of your resources. So very, very happy about that. And then the call came to say, look, there's an assignment uh, for the CTIO role, um, you know, in, in the group. And never really worked in the group, you know, I kind of like, you know, like operations. I like to see things being done. I like to measure my results. But I thought, look, this might be interesting. Let me test my capabilities about how can one now sell across 21 markets and position my story. I've been in this role now since 2019. Very, very excited about it, you know, largely because of the transformation nature of tech at this stage. And I think we can touch on that later. But if one looks at it, the broad range of tech transformation that's happening on the network and IT systems is quite fascinating. Also, if you look at the commercial challenges that we face as MNOs, you know, fighting niche players in, in a number of spaces like fintech and instant messaging spaces. So very, very fascinating and very excited to be doing this function today. Yeah, I mean, this is the best day or the best time ever to be CTO CIO, no? I mean, it's very exciting very much. times that, uh, that we live in. Yeah. So you say 21 different markets. T tell us a bit more about MTN as a group. What does it stand for? And what is it, what is it that it does really, really well? Let me first talk about the, what we stand for. What is our purpose? You know, we exist uh, mm -hmm. for a purpose of our business. We believe as MTN that everyone deserves the benefits of a modern connected life. That is the core purpose of why we do what we do. We're in 21 markets, 278 million subscribers um, across all the markets in Africa and the Middle East. We've got about, let's say, 116 million active data customers who are using our internet capabilities on 3G and 4G and now 5G. Uh, we've got a very big uh, a fintech business, 46 million people active a fintech customers who are you know transacting on a daily basis using our fintech platform probably one of the biggest in the world very very excited about that 65,000 sites across all the, uh, the the markets in which we operate uh, i'm looking after you know almost a two billion dollar capex uh, network and it in terms of rollout of our networks and technology across the market so very very massive uh, business and of course our one of the key things that we are now focusing on is that you know, what are our key pillars? You know, the key pillars of growth is, is, is fintech and a very key pillar. Uh, and we want to accelerate that business. And then we were building what we call 
Africa super up. You know, um, you know, we've got an instant messaging business that we are building as a second pillar. Big focus on enterprise as a key pillar as well, you know, because I think we're slightly under indexed as a business on enterprise. We're also focusing on what, what you call network as a service, you know, almost like you know, creating capabilities to orchestrate network services at the top and take them to market, whether it's a B2B or B2C. And then the last pillar, which I'm more responsible for also as a CTO, is building what you call Africa's API marketplace. So we're very, very excited about that idea. At the anchor of it all, you know, we're saying that one network, one API layer, one data lake. That is the anchor and the base where all the key five platforms that we're building are running on today. Okay, super. So we have many, many things to talk about. That's, that's absolutely clear, uh, Charles. So let's uh, start from uh, the business side. So what is the, the, the pressure uh, that the, the business is under? What are the, the big challenges that, that the, the business needs to address today? Is it uh, changing customers? Is it demography? Is it, is it, is it technology? What are the, the big the drivers of change uh, at uh, MTN to, uh, today? Look, first of all, we, we're looking at the challenges that the continent is facing, um, whether it's inclusion around fintech or around financial services or education. We're responding to that. So we're taking that as an external influence on how we can be able to help our continent to be able to move our people forward in terms of inclusion. Then you are dealing with disruption. You know, there's a lot of players who are coming in. I mean, if I'm talking about fintech, we are now battling on the fintech side with niche players. These are not traditional MNOs, by the way. So that's a, a big challenge, you know, in terms of disruption that we're dealing with. You also have to deal with regulatory challenges across different markets. These are different jurisdictions, so complexity around regulatory frameworks that one has to deal with. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, the whole digital transformation, you know, how do we digitize our business? How do we respond to the needs? Because, you know, what, what the Internet has done is almost has democratized the digital services. And customers are now a little bit too demanding for us as a telco in terms of new digital services that we need to launch. So it's regulatory, um, it's, it's uh, uh, customer needs, it's disruption that you have to deal with, and broadly also the mandate that you have in the continent as the leading MNO in the continent with a key mandate to lead the continent and to provide solutions for the future. Now to answer to the disruption and to go through transformation, your company needs to be very innovative. So I would like to talk with you about how MTN, how uh, your organization organizes uh, innovation. And so um, open innovation is the word of, uh, of the day. And, and so in open innovation, we can talk about culture, we can talk about process, we can yeah. talk about technologies. Yeah. But let's maybe start with a couple of examples. Where do you see MTN really as a, on, on the forefront of, of new service? So you talked about the API marketplace. Is that a good example of, of, of the innovation that's happening? I think it's a, it's a fantastic example of what we, we stand for and what we're going to achieve. And I'll give a few, you know, just to tell you how we arrive at this. Because, you know, my realization, and I always say this in my business, is that the future truly is software and the ability to create and the curiosity to create and develop new business models. That's true for me, that is it. Mm -hmm. So if you can master software capabilities, and you master in your, in your business, in your commercial business, the curiosity and the interest to develop new business models, there you can anchor your future. Now, we are building what you call open ecosystem. One of the mandates that I have as a, as a CTO is how do, do I build an open architecture? And the definition of open in this, in this instance is that how do I allow new partners to onboard onto our systems easily to help us to create new services? 
We have done that yep. on mobile money. Today on mobile money, we've got an open API capability. We're onboarding customers, you know, constantly across different markets. What that has done, it has allowed us to deploy new services and to innovate and bring new capabilities on the fintech platform. So that's the power that we're doing around innovation. We're also now developing the, the Chenosis API marketplace. Remember, we are putting this as a completely separate business, separate brand. It's not an okay. MTN branded business. And the reason why is because we believe that while MTN will be the anchor in terms of API mm -hmm. provisioning, that will take MTN's APIs to market, we will sell them on the platform. We believe that we can create an opportunity as well to bring other verticals, to bring whether it's, a, it's other fintech players, uh, to bring banks, uh, to bring logistics, to bring other MNOs as well. And we're beginning to do that. I mean, we are now working with Tulio on a two-factor authentication capability, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, subscriber verification capability. That's the power of innovation. But one of the things that I also want to mention is that innovation is now democratized because this is the power of what digital has done. In the past, people used to think that it's only the commercial people who must come with new propositions, who must come up with new yep. services. But digital has democratized innovation across the business. We're now saying this. We're saying everyone in this business can come up with an idea, whether you are sitting in sales and distribution. Look, you could be sitting in HR and you can say you've got an idea around blockchain. You could be sitting in tech and you believe that you can build an API capability or you know you, know, you can do something around eSIM. So we are funneling that under one unit, under what you call the strategy and transformation business, which is run by a, a chief operations officer. So we're aggregating a multiple of ideas and that whole ideation process goes through a funnel of creation where we now vet different ideas to power the, the, the influence. Because we say we're positioning ourselves as a digital operator or as a platform player. Once you do that, there is no limit in terms of what you can create because one platform helps you create another platform. Because in my sense, digital for me is not the end state. Digital is a continuum. So once we build one core digital capability, we have an opportunity to orchestrate new services around it. Whereas FinTech, for instance, we started with FinTech, which was core payments, you know, or core money transfer. We are now bringing loans, micro loans around it. We are now bringing in short tech as an innovation capability. We are now bringing APIs. All of these things are anchored with one API and one data lake. So it's a democratized innovation model where everyone in the business has an opportunity to create new services, but finally to a prop through proper structures, through our strategy and transformation team. Let's talk about the culture on the people side first. You, you said where are we, everybody can come up with good <coughs> ideas. I can imagine in many organizations, large organizations like MTN, traditionally it was command and control and we need new ways of working, we need to uh, set people free to bring out the ideas. Uh, and, and so there's, there's a culture shift that yeah. is going on in many, many organizations. How do, you, how do you make that shift happen at MTN? What are the, what are the best practices that you could share um, on, on, on that side, on the people and the culture side? Uh, look, first of all, cultural transformation is very complex. Um, and it's really not something that many organizations, especially a company of our size, can easily achieve overnight. You know, and I always say that if you want to transform culture, there's a, there are multiple levers that you have to pull. It's not one simple intervention to be able to transform the culture of the business. We have to look at measures and rewards. We have to look at the way of work. And that's what we're doing now in terms of the way of work. We have to look at incentives. 
Um, we have to look at the mode of how you're communicating. So the things that we are doing now is the extent of how we're communicating in our business. We're looking at a huge skills transformation. We're looking at the, comp the, the construction or the changing of new measures and rewards to be able to reward differently, to promote different mindsets and different culture within the business. But also, you know, I'm a firm believer in the wisdom of the crowds. You know, that, that the crowd mm -hmm. must be empowered the crowd must allow to be independent, and the feedback of the crowd is essential. What do I mean by that? I mean that it's important in terms of how we work with our, with our staff, our general employees, that we allow them to be independent. And there's a culture of building at MTN where we're allowing them to make mistakes, we allow them to be independent, to create new ideas. There's a power and what you say, the independence of the power of the, of, of the crowd, for them to give us different ideas, for them to be independent and to be empowered. Now, that is a journey. It's not a simple thing that you can be able to flip a switch. You have to monitor it, you have to track it, you have to refine it, and you have to constantly communicate, which is what you are doing. So we're using our HR officer, who's very, very good, you know, communicating across the business, where are we taking the business. But again, the transformation of culture at MTN is not one person's responsibility. It's not the CEO's responsibility alone. It's a broader church. Everyone within the organization has a responsibility to model and to display different kinds of cultural attributes to help the organization to move forward. The way we are propagating the message is very important when you are driving a, such a huge shift, particularly because we're also driving a strategic shift. You know, we now have a new strategy called Ambition 2025. For you to achieve that, you need to mobilize. So you need to change the cultural levers. You need to communicate constantly. So we're using a number of platforms uh, to bring that message forward uh, in terms of the culture that we want to propagate. And we're putting HR, of course, in the front, but we are saying that this is not just the responsibility of HR. I think there's a broader community, the broader organization that needs to mobilize around the strategy and to change the mindset, the way of work, how we approach innovation, you know, and all of that eventually will actually, you know, you know become a much more transformational aspect in terms of the culture of the business. Yeah, you say new ways of working. Can you give an, um, some examples of that? Sure. You know, um, like the, the, the quick one is, you know, the whole thing that everybody talks about agile today, you know, um, how do we move, you know, my definition of agile is how do I move technology close to the business? You know, how do I make sure that in the new world we cannot deploy a new feature after six months or a new big system with multiple features after six months? What the customers are asking for is one feature a day. Now, if you want to do that, the model and the operating model of how you do the work must change. The way of work must change. So I'm now bringing my IT organization, my developers, my API developers close to the business. So I'm bringing them close to the fintech colleagues. I'm bringing them close to our, our enterprise colleagues. That enables them to be able to exchange information, to be a bit more iterative in terms of implementation of solutions. If we do that, we are now able to bring more services to market much more quicker than we used to do in the past. That's one aspect. But broadly also, the way of work in terms of the, the work from home that we are now seeing that was brought by COVID. So we are moving organization around that. And we've been very, very successful in terms of the work from home. You know, the staff has, have embraced it and we've been pretty successful, you know, in, the, in terms of how we've done that. Also, you know, the whole design of, you know, scrum masters, teams, you know, you know, teams that are able to migrate once a project is done, project-based targeted teams. That's also very, very important. Another big focus of ours in terms of the way of work is that now, Truly, if you want to be digital and achieve the ambition 2025, one of the things we want to do is to now bring internal capabilities in terms of software development. This is not what the MNOs like to do in the past. We used to just buy off-the-shelf platforms and do integration capabilities and then launch the services. 
But in the digital world, the new way of doing this, we need to build internal software development capabilities to be able to launch new services much quicker to compete in the market. Okay. Now, culture shift is, a, is, 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 is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's, a, it's a long journey and, and it's an ongoing thing because the way that we work and, and there's always new insights on how we can better um, operate, how we can better innovate in an organization. Let's return uh, to the process again. You talked about you're building an, an, an ecosystem, uh, basically, and you, uh, your focus is a lot on fintech. Does that mean that MTN is becoming a bank? Or, or, or what is, what's the role there of, of MTN in, in, in that ecosystem? We believe that um, cash is enemy number one. Um, you know, we want to digitize cash, um, especially in the, in, in the continent. So, and for us to do that, it means we must build very strong, robust fintech capabilities. Um, of course, mm -hmm. when we do fintech, it means that you can do payments, you can do money transfer, you can do remittances, um, of course, and then you can do insurtech, uh, you can do microloans, uh, essentially do what we call bank tech. That's exactly what we want to do. We believe that we can scale this. We've got about 278 million customers today. We've got only 46 million customers doing fintech. The scope is wide to be able to become the biggest fintech player, or the biggest bank possible in the continent, and to bring inclusion. We'll do this through partnerships. We'll do this through integration on the open ecosystem, through our open API capability, onboarding partners quickly, self-onboarding capabilities for partners to be able to launch new services, and launch capabilities and services at rapid speed, and scale this business yeah. going forward. But Africa was already on the forefront of, of mobile payments. Now, if, if, if I'm not mistaken, the last time, and that's a long time ago, was in Kenya, people were already correct. paying with their mobile phones, correct? Correct. But, but, but we believe that, I mean, that happened more in Kenya. It's MTN's responsibility uh -huh. to make sure that happens across the broader continent. You know, so we're doing that in, in all the multiple markets, whether, you know, whether it's in Ghana, Uganda, we've launched it in South Africa, we're making very good progress. You know, you know, multiple markets across the African continent, we are now digitizing finance. Like I say, cash is enemy number one for us. Charles, what I find very fascinating is that you have done this startup uh, as a CIO, CTO. And, and, and you rightly say so, only very few CIO, CTOs do that. I know a couple of them. I've interviewed a couple of them, so I would be happy to introduce you sure. uh, to them. Um, but that's, I mean, that's quite exceptional, right? I mean, taking the time, you already run a bit, very big operation, but then starting something new, why, what is it that drove you to really do that? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a problem, you know, for, for organizations. You know, I'm itching, um, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't like to be comfortable. You know, the minute I get comfortable in the role, then I get bored. And I'm always looking for opportunities to add value. Um, you know, I'm always mm -hmm. looking for opportunities to differentiate myself, to create new services. But particularly for APIs, I mean, this has been a dream of mine since about 2013. I wrote a paper in 2013 about, you know, the future of the API economy. That was in 2013, back then. And back then wow. I was motivating for the business to build an API business. Look, it took me a while. It, you know, we only started to build <laughs> this thing in 20, 2019. But it's still a major achievement. I believe that you know, everyone has an you know, opportunity to make a difference in the business. And I also don't like to be pigeonholed. I don't believe that if you're a business executive, you must be, you must be pigeonholed. You, know, you, are a, you are a CIO, therefore you can't do commercial. You are a commercial guy, then therefore you can't do tech. Um, 
I do not believe in that. I believe that everyone has a role to play, everyone has a value to add. And I think if all of us can do that, then we can be able to harness the power of ideas within, within the organization. Remember, like I said, I believe in the wisdom of the crowd. The more diverse the crowd is, the more independent the crowd is, the more we can contribute. So I'm always looking for ways to add value. You know, in today's challenges, tomorrow is something else. You know, in terms of how can we move the business forward. But I also want to create opportunities to excite my team. Because when you create opportunities like this, you create vehicles to motivate and to be able to empower a team. Like I said to you that I want the best engineers to come and work here. For us, if we want to achieve that, we must create avenues that brings excitement that young and bright minds and experienced hardworking people can want to join our organization. So Charles, let's, let's talk a bit more about the, how we organize innovation because innovation can uh, typically happens at the edge uh, of, of organization. So what's your innovation operating model, if you want? Fantastic. Thanks, thanks for that, Hendrik, because I'm very passionate about innovation, largely because I love tech and I love business. So I, I see the convergence of the two quite easily. Um, and, and that's why I came up with the whole Chinosis API marketplace. You know, the, the principle in the organization is this, is that remember we've got a core business of mobile, you know, connectivity business. That business must be protected, we must be nurtured, and we must make sure we protect the core. But of course, at the peripheral of all of that, at the periphery of all of that, you can start to build new services that are anchored on the core business. So mobility is the anchor. And then you've got all the innovation that happening, you know, all at the periphery. Chenosis is built on that because all the APIs, all the assets that we are actually putting out as API and monetizing, they are all based on the core business, whether it's messaging, whether it's money transfers based on a fintech business, it's based on connectivity, it's based on two-factor authentication, based on, on SMS notification. So we're now building digital platforms, you know, around the core. And we are saying that, you know, in the case of Chinosis, what we did, we said this must be a separate built business. Why? Because it enables us to innovate and to bring new partners, you know, on board. And, and, and also to just, you know, note that this is the business which started under the group CTRO's office. It's not common that you have a business that has been commercialized and the proper go-to-market launches a separate brand but built by the group CTO, who still has a network and IT to run. So essentially what, we what we're doing here as a CTO community within the MTN group is that we are now fulfilling the role of innovation, bringing your services, innovating and launching a product, eventually productizing it and launching in the market, at the same time running the network. So that, <coughs> sorry, that's what we are saying broadly to say everyone within the business has an opportunity to create new services and launch this thing as key multiple platforms going forward. Like I said, Platforms business is an, is an unending business. You build one platform, you create capabilities, data capabilities, analytics capabilities, you build the next. And so it goes. And that's what we intend to grow. So we build on the core and start to build multiple platforms on top of each other and create these multiple services, this, co this continuum of services uh, going forward. So Charles, let's, we, we, open innovation is all about open culture. It's about um, open processes and it's about open technology. So let's talk about technology. So yeah. from, from that dimension, what are the, for you, the key technologies today that are driving innovation and change? Oh, well, that's, that's very exciting for me. You know, <laughs> that's we, a big one. We, <laughs> very much. You know, we have a program called uh, Oxygen Program, which is our initiative that we're driving uh, to uplift and enable the business from now up until 2025. The oxygen program 
is a portfolio or a suite of about 28 individual programs. Those programs are now mapped across all different operating companies. So give a few programs, for instance, we've got the BSS, uh, we've got a program to digitize our ERP capabilities. We've got what we call enterprise value analytics, which is the analytics core layer that we are building. We've got what we call the Med API program, which is amplification of the environment, building APIs in the environment. We've got a 4G acceleration, 5G readiness, uh, you know, transmission capability, high transport capability building. Uh, we've got rural network acceleration. So there's a plethora of programs that governs the whole 28 sets of programs. Then what we did is we indexed all the markets. Then we know which, where, where all the markets sit. So we've got the oxygen level index. So the oxygen index mm -hmm. tells me where my operating company in South Africa sits in terms of capability. Where does Nigeria sit? Where does Ghana sit? And I'm able to compare them. Then I, then I went to the board and said, look, if you give me this capital for the next five years, you give me $2 billion every single year. This is the oxygen level index I'll deliver in five years. I'm sitting, let's say, at the beginning of the program on the index of about 28 across the group because it's aggregated and weighted according to the markets, size and, and, and revenue contribution. But I said to them, by 2025, I'll deliver an oxygen index of 89%, argument's sake. Then I showed them I work backwards in terms of the, the profile of injection and which areas I'm going to inject the, 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 the investment to deliver that index. Very, very exciting. What that allows us is that if you're the board member, if you are any executive across the business, you are able to track where the investment is going and which lever we're able to pull and to push forward. Whether it's, the, the, it's omni-channel capabilities, we've got a program on that. Whether it's Project Zero in terms of decarbonization, there's a program on that. And everyone knows exactly where they stand. And there's a level of detail that shows them what they need to do to get to the next level and to get to level five, which is the ultimate level for innovation. Key technologies, 5G, of course, super excited about 5G. But for us, you know, I, I don't look at 5G as a network. I'm not a typical CTO. I look at 5G as an innovation layer. I look at 5G as an innovation uh -huh. hotbed. So my message within the business when I talk about 5G, I'm not, I'm not building a network. I'm building for the organization an innovation hotbed or platform. That's 5G. 5G brings a lot of dynamics. It brings now the focus on the edge. With the new services, we need to put a bit more focus in terms of the edge. So another key technology that we're focusing on, I call, call the edge the, the beachfront property for telcos. And, I, and you can see, if you see the wrestling of, 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 the, of the hyperscalers, you know, with the MNOs on the edge, because they understand the power of the edge, particularly if you start to look at services like industrial IoT capabilities, private 5G networks, the edge is going to become super, super critical. And of course, cloud, across all the layers, cloudification, cloud at the radio access network level, cloud down into the last downstream system on an IT component, there's a big, big focus. So the principle, from an architecture perspective, we say cloud first across the organization. So it's either you do cloud or you motivate why you're not doing cloud. So a very, very big focus for us. And then you have to look at, you know, on the, on the network side, you know, the radio side, the disaggregation of the radio network. We're now building new, building new vendors through the initiative, open run initiatives, disaggregation of the transmission layer, disaggregation of the radio access network side, you know, all of that, you know, so big, big focus again. Another focus and an exciting technology is API. I believe that you cannot talk digital unless you inject strong API capabilities 
in your business. So there's a big push that I'm pushing within the business that you must, you know, put and inject API capabilities in the business. And then AI, machine learning, we're putting chatbots in terms of ability to be able to transact and purchase talk time. You know, uh, how do you create new propositions, you know, customize or bespoke propositions. You need proper analytics in AI and machine learning to be able to do that. There's another big, big push for us. So it's a huge number of tech. I mean, I've, I've not seen tech change this much. If you look at all the layers coming from the, 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 the device, the network side, right down to the last downturn system, the architecture is changing. We are now deploying microservices-based architecture as well to enable us to make changes and to do go-to-market quickly. Huge cloudification exercise. We are moving most of our workloads now into a public cloud and potentially drive a hybrid model of public, public and private. So huge basket of changes on the tech side. Um, very, very, very exciting time. Let's talk a moment about open source as well. How, how important is open source in your organization? Is that a strategy or is, is that just optional? At this stage, not much. Um, at this stage, we have not necessarily started to embrace it. We believe there are still fundamentals that you want to deal with, I think, from an African context before we embrace that. So we're still focusing on really fixing you know, our platforms, um, you know, moving them more into the cloud, API capabilities, analytics. That will come at some point, but at this stage, it's not a big focus for my side. It's really right now is that how do I transform the architecture? How do I build what you call, our ambition is to build what you call a CODIS architecture. Converged, open, intelligent, secure, and distributed. The CODIS architecture. We believe that if we build this CODIS framework, uh, you know, by 2025, will enable the company to compete, will have a company which is agile, will be able to bring new services to market much, much more quicker, and of course, will be able to bring the cost down and help the business to drive the much needed margin expansion in our business. Let's talk a bit more about this, um, your oxygen level index, which I find uh, very fascinating. And you have 28 measure points, 28 programs in there. What are the most exciting uh, programs of these uh, of these 28? Oh, Hendrik, you're asking me a very, very difficult <laughs> question. You know, um, very difficult to it's, pick. It's like selecting which is which is your most beautiful child, I'm, right? I'm telling you, very, very <laughs> difficult to pick one. But the, one of the programs that, that, that I find exciting is what you call uh, Munich, MTN Unified Cloud, Munich. Uh, so that is the cloudification of the core network. Um, and particularly as we move now into 5G, I'm super excited. We're getting a lot of inquiries from a number of players who want to partner with us. So I'm super excited about that because once we do that, we can build better orchestration and automate new services, um, you know, and build proper network as a service. So super excited about Munich. But of course, you can never not be excited about 5G. You know, it's still much at the early stage for us in our markets, but we're powering ahead in South Africa. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the edge. I'm excited about analytics. Um, APIs excite me a lot as well. Um, you know, and of course, you know, maybe the BSS transformation to an extent, because as we move to digital the services, the, the, the BSS platform becomes much more critical in terms of order management, how we actually provision our products, the hierarchies in the systems and all of that. So that's all very, very critical. So very, very difficult to, to, to choose. I mean, you know, another one is high capacity transport. You know, as we move to 5G now, the veins in terms of how we backhaul and move our data has to change. So that also is super, super exciting. And I'm also excited about Open Run. Why am I excited about Open Run? Is because I have an opportunity to help my organization to bring costs down, to, build, to bring new vendors in. I know it's still very much at the beginning, 
but I'm super excited. One last one will be maybe uh, rural coverage. Remember, we've got about, you know, 90, 90 odd percent pop coverage, right, in terms of 2G. Um, and in many of the markets, it's very difficult now to extend that using microsite and, 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 and the technology. So you want to start to lower the cost and cover as many people as possible. And remember, we said that everyone deserves the benefits of a modern connected life. You cannot have a modern connected life if you don't have coverage. So the rural coverage program that's driving the market is also very, very close to my heart. We're making super level of progress. We've got about six or, four, six or seven partners that are working with us to be able to bring you know, rural connectivity to our people. That's also very exciting. But one last program, maybe if I can mention it, you know, that also excites me is what we call the number one tech team. Because after mm -hmm. all is said and done, it's going to be about the quality of the people that you have. So we have, you know, a program called the number one tech team. And I always say that the best engineers, the best software developers must be a stampede coming to try and work for MTN. If I can achieve that, <laughs> I'll be super excited. Why is it that people should work for you and MTN? I, I don't think, look, we are the, the biggest mobile operator in the continent. Um, we are super innovative. We are the forefront of the prepaid based services in this market. Uh, we are leading on financial services. We are the biggest with 46 million customers. Um, we've got the biggest subscriber base of 278 million. We are in multiple markets uh, and also are purpose driven. Uh, we want to change and deliver our continent um, and bring inclusion, whether it's going to be health inclusion, whether it's going to be finance, it's going to be education. Uh, we believe that everyone deserves the benefit of a modern connected life. I think if you care about the continent, if you care about innovation, if you believe that you want to work at the bleeding edge of tech in this continent, there's only one place that is MTN. <laughs> Let's talk about your organization. I mean, give us some numbers. How big is MTM in total? How big is IT? And, and what is in IT? How, how is IT and digital organized? Give us a bit of a picture of sure, the... Uh, we, of, of I, of yeah, your organization? Uh, total, uh, total workforce of 18,018 um, across, across all the 21 markets. Uh, the IT organization is, is constructed in many, in many phases as a CTIO organization, meaning that we've got a blend uh, of the CTIO, meaning that the, the whole IT, and the IT and network under one. In some markets, we've got CTO and CIO because the blend is very difficult. It's not an easy blend to pick up in many markets. So we're still running diverse structures, whether it's a CIO, CTO, and a CTIO in some of the markets. And we're responsible. We're the key enabler across the business. Whether the requirements are coming from, from, from commercial, whether it's enterprise, whether it's, it's consumer and all of that, <clears throat> we're responsible to engineer that. And of course, the biggest number of people in the organization is network and IT people, largely because of the scale. Even though uh, most of it is run through our vendors. We use a lot of vendors, you know, in the network space for field management, for optimization, uh, you know, network ops and all of that. So it's largely an outsource model. If you look at it in terms of that way, it's managed services driven. And to a certain extent, IT also works that way. Uh, it's still a bit of more, some to a extent, managed services. Uh, and in the center, you know, I look after the whole orchestration. So the, the rollout, the strategy, the architecture, the standards, the governance, um, and obviously, to a certain extent, operations, because I like operations. So to a certain extent, I still drive the operations part of in terms of key programs that we need to implement. So let's say the key agenda, for instance, around analytics, I'll drive that, I'll make sure it's done. Digital transformation, I'll anchor it in the group and drive it from the center, using the markets, of course, for implementation. But I'll be the major custodian to make sure it's actualized. And of course, I use the oxygen program as a key blueprint to show me which areas I need to press harder in which markets, where am I falling behind, which program is falling behind 
which market is going to be it's going to suffer in terms of the oxygen index and where i need to do a bit of an uplift so that's sort of like the model that we use so the digital part today sits in commercial but it's more commercial digital it's not necessarily internal digital so internal digital is largely still driven by IT, but commercial digital is separate with a separate uh, executive in the markets and in the center who are responsible for that. So Charles, tell me what is fundamentally your role in the organization and where do you spend most of your time? My, my role, Hendrik, is um, you know, largely you know, strategy um, around the, the network in terms of you know, what is the, the future uh, networks and IT, so I look after that. I'm also responsible in terms of the CAPEX deployment across all the markets, uh, so the spend, the network rollout, you know, IT uh, provisioning of systems. I'm responsible for standards in terms of technology uh, to make sure that we create proper governance in terms of appointment of new, new vendors, tech standards, uh, alignment of the architecture, um, and really broadly you could say that the enablement of the business uh, because without, without, without the tech, the business will not be able to move. So it's fundamentally how we prepare the business for the future, how we fix operations, how we make sure that the networks are strong, how we make sure that we've got the capability on the IT and the network side, um, and a broader preparation of this, net, of this uh, organization to make sure that we're not left behind when it comes to you know, tech that other MNOs are doing. So to keep the organization competitive, to enable the, the company to compete and to bring new services uh, to market. I spent most of my time, to be honest, <laughs> in meetings, you know, because I spend most of the time <laughs> listening and hearing for, for new ideas, mediating and governance in steercos, driving programs, driving governance across that, meeting with vendors. Uh, pretty much my, my, my 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. to about 7 p.m. is pretty much just around meetings, nonstop. Then I get to do my emails, mm -hmm. just post, post, post all of that. So I spend my time really <laughs> governing the issues and making, helping people to make decisions and breaking silos in the organization, making sure that the work moves forward. Let's talk a bit more about your leadership style. I mean, you're, um, you, you, you lead 21 different countries and, and, and multiple CIOs, CTOs and all these in, in, in these countries. So how would you describe your, your leadership style and, and what do you think your people will say about you when you're not around. Yeah. <laughs> Look, my, my, my style is, is, is always contextual. Um, it, it, it depends on, on the environment. It depends on the individual. It also depends on what we're dealing with at the time. You know, uh, whether it's a crisis, whether it's a new project, uh, a, a new market entry exercise. Um, you know, sometimes I lead from the front, um, you know, completely uh, from the front. I, 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 I dictate the direction and the pace, um, you, know, you know, to be seen. It's important to provide guidance and to lead with that vision. Sometimes I, you know, uh, from the back, I allow, allow the teams to, 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 to come with, with their own ideas, to formulate their outlook on how we need to approach a particular program. Uh, sometimes democratic, sometimes autocratic. I think it depends on how you know, and what we are faced in, in, in most cases. I do think, though, that um, if you ask my team, they'll probably say I lead more from the front. Um, you know, and maybe sometimes a little bit too much, um, you know, because I, I always say that, you know, um, for, for, for me, if you work for me, the best way to manage me as my subordinate is to outpace me. Um, you know, that, that's the only way, because, because if you cannot outpace me, then if I outpace you, then I end up actually leading from the front. But... I like to work with people who have the same energy, the same speed, 
who are a bit more decisive, they can make decisions much more quicker. If you do that, um, and you can be able to stay ahead of me, you can preempt the new technologies, and you know what I'm going to ask you. You can prepare to my engagements and my meetings. You'll find that I'll allow you more space to be able to do what you need to do. Um, you know, I always say that, you know, in my organizations, we fetch. You know, you don't, you don't, gi you don't give me a statement that I'm waiting for finance. That you can never use a word like that. You know, you, know you, you, you always have to be on the move and you have to do much more than what your job role is to be able to move the job, the, the, the function forward. You know, so my style, you know, is, is that high engagement, very, very intense, lead from the front, allow those who are out, you know, who are much more faster than me to come ahead, autocratic when it's required, democratic also when it's required. Very diverse, very dynamic, and also because, you know, I, I have a very comfort level of managing the strategic and the operational. So I'm very comfortable going into an operations meeting, decomposing a problem, and also very comfortable going into the board, communicating the strategy and the vision of the business and engaging strategically so I can craft the vision, but I'm very fortunate that I've got the capability to actually actualize the vision. So like I always say to my people, I'm not just a roaming prophet. I don't make a declaration and then disappear. You know, once I made a declaration and the vision of the business or where we want to go, I go back, I cut it into pieces, and I actualize it and I make sure that I operationalize that implementation. And I think that's one of my key assets. Let's talk a bit more about your personality. You shared with us that your MBTI profile is the INTJ. You're an, also known as the architect. So you like to build things, right? And so an, an INTJ is typically more introverted, intuitive thinking, and a judging personality. And these are thoughtful tacticians that love perfecting the details of life, applying creativity, rationality to everything that they do. And the inner world is often uh, a private and complex one. And we can, uh, we can come to that in a moment. Let me start with your strengths. Strengths of people with your profile are typically very, very rational, very informed, very independent, determined. They know what they want, very curi curious and versatile. Do they all resonate with you? Do you recognize I, I think, yourself I, I, in that? I think so. I think, uh, super, you know, super introverted, very reflective. Um, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I also operate with a very high internal locus of control, you know, and, and, and that also can be problematic if you operate with people, if you're managing people who have an external locus of control. So you start to see some friction there because the way I manage work and how I do work, I believe that, you know, I'm responsible. You know, as long as there's a function in the work for me to be done, I do whatever is required to get that thing to, to, to be done. So because I hold myself accountable. Um, you know, um, so, so that's, that's the nature of, of, of how I operate. So, you know, and, and that also can be a, a challenge sometimes with, with, with people. If you're introverted, you can be, mis you know, you can be misread. Um, and, and, and that's why it's very important as a leader. And, and I'm not there yet, you know, in terms of explaining to the people who you are. And so that your behaviors are not misinterpreted because people could, could you could be seen as being aloof, uh, uninterested. Um, and all of that. So it's very important when you're leading such a big team to make it very clear to people that when I behave like this, I don't mean this. This is just the way I operate. And sometimes if I don't say anything in a meeting, I'm reflecting on it. You know, I like to think before I speak. I like to articulate my thoughts in, with a bit more clarity. You know, so that's largely how I, 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 I see myself. Okay. Now, I'm always surprised to have top leaders like you with an introverted uh, profile. I would always think that, that top leaders would be extrovert. So, so you need extrovert um, um, characteristics or, or skills. So where and how did you develop your more extrovert skills? 
You know, I learned this thing. Very, very good question, Hendrik. You know, I learned this when I was a CIO in, um, in Nigeria. You know, when I took over there, I realized that, you know, the job of the CIO is not just about engineering and building solutions. It's actually, you know, a selling job because you've got very yeah. tough internal stakeholders. Pretty much everyone around the Exco table is your customer. Now, not many people, not many executives uh, have that uh, 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 responsibility. Many of them deal with external customers, whether you're a consumer executive, you know, enterprise executive, your customers are outside. You don't see them every day. Uh, you don't talk to them, you know, you know, across the corridor. You don't see them in Exco. So the CIO job is complex in that sense because every time you move in the business, there's someone who is not happy with what you're doing. You know, someone who's not happy with, with the laptop, someone who's not happy with the networks, someone who's not happy with the performance of the land, uh, someone complaining about too much paper and manual process within the business. At any given point in time, there are detractors, there are people who are unhappy. So then, then I realized that one has to have the skill of communication. You have to go out and sell and put yourself out there. Because, you know, what, what, what I've realized is that when people see yourself, see you put yourself out there, admit when things are not working, hold yourself accountable, be transparent and open, you know, and be able to say, look, we made a mistake. We could have done this rollout better. You know, we launched a new information security feature. We locked everybody out of the network. We apologize. And they see where you're coming from. I find that they're a bit more appreciative. So I had to work very much on myself in terms of reaching out because I realized that if I cannot communicate with my internal stakeholders, it is almost as a consumer executive who cannot communicate with their own external customers. I thought that I need to find a way to connect, so I need to reach out. There are many ways to do that. You can release bulletins, you can send emails, you can release uh, documents at each end of the month and release you know, business impacting uh, uh, solutions. You know, start to be, speak more of a business language. And I realized that I had to start change my profile and color my language slightly with business. Because when they hear you communicate the language that they understand, they see you being sympathetic. So I go to the call center, for instance. I visit call centers as a CIO. You know, I go into a trade, into the market, to try and understand what a customer is struggling with in the shops. It's when, yeah. it's when you do all those things that your profile starts to change. That, well, you might be seen as an introvert, but you are seen to be caring, you are seen to be interested, and therefore a bit more open. Now weaknesses of people with your personality profile let's talk about that or development areas typically are that sometimes these people could can come across as arrogant dismissive of emotions overly critical combative so is that also was that also a learning part for you to i mean you're very rational to, to work on your emotional or relationship side it's still it's still a very much uh, work in progress uh, hendrik um <laughs> You know, it, because, because of the, the high level of internal locus of control, um, it, it, it can have a, a challenge with how you work with people. Um, you yeah. know, it, it, the push for high standards can become a problem. You have to see people where they are, apply a bit more context. Um, you know, because the way my mindset works is that, you know, I, I don't expect from my team what I cannot do. So if I'm saying to you that you have a product that you must launch, uh, and we must enable it, and it means we must work until 3 a.m. I'm not saying it because you are doing I'm saying because if I have to do it, I'll do it with you. Um, you know, but, but that kind of work sometimes can create challenges with the team. So that's why it, I remain work in progress in terms of how I lead in that sense, how I communicate more, and how I see each and everybody's strengths, you know, that you cannot apply a blanket rule in terms of how you govern. Um, that will always be, you know, like a work in progress. But look, 
I've come a long way. Um, you know, I've managed to build sustainable talent and teams. You know, I've got a track record of building high-performance teams. I hold people to high standards. And very often what I've seen is that in the immediate, people don't like it. Um, you know, but three years, three years later, or once I've left, I get tons of calls to say, look, we're still operating on your energy. Many years after I've left the business, we're still actually even keyed into your mindset, your speed, and your energy, and how you actually decide. It takes a lot of time. It's, it's a very lonely process to lead uh, because sometimes what you see, your people do not see. Sometimes what you want to achieve, even though you articulate and explain it, some people cannot get. And you have to have the patience to bring everybody along. But you also have to have the aggression to be in the front. And the, that, that process of loneliness for a period where you are misunderstood, you must create that allowance for yourself so that you can be able to move the business forward. Now, you're clearly very, very passionate and, and driven by business, by results, by creating change and, and by growing, growing the company. What are your passions in your personal life? What do you get excited by? Uh, what is it that drives you in your personal life? You know, I, 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 I like to see my family improve. You know, um, mm -hmm. one, of, one of my biggest things that I, I long for, is, uh, you know, that I always tell my, my nephews and nieces is that, you know, one day when I'm gone, I wish, you know, they have, they, they'll have this big portrait of myself in their, in their living rooms and they'll say, it's because of this man, that their grand grandchildren will say, it's because of this man that things change. You know, so I'm motivated by turning the tide, uh, uplifting my, my, my family, my immediate and my cousins and, and my sisters and, and putting them on a different trajectory. It really brings to me a great sense of fulfillment. You know, you have no idea. Mm -hmm. So when I, see, when I see them achieve, when I see my family, when I see my son, you know, conquer a new you know, training segment, you know, he's a boxer, he's, he's, he's into boxing now, and he plays golf. Wow. So when I see him start to now play better and, 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 and do better, and I, it just brings so much fulfillment. You know, I'm, I'm driven by a life of meaning. Um, you know, I'm not, bring, I'm, I'm not the one who gets excited by, by, by a, a life of me. Um, you know, my sense comes when I see people succeed, the people that I care about, the people that, that work with me. When I get a call from a colleague who says to me, look, you know, you are gone three years later. I'm still actually enjoying our chats that you used to have many years after I've left. Um, you know, and if I, when I see my people succeed, uh, my, my, my family, my friends, when I see them live up to their potential and I believe I had something to do with it, either inspiring them, helping them, guiding them, or just being close to them, I'm motivated and I'm excited about that. Yeah. You have a 12-year-old son you've uh, shared with us. What are the, the core values that you're passing on to him? Oh, work ethic, um, you know, honesty, um, integrity, um, you know, sense of judgment. Take your time, you know, don't judge quickly. Um, you know, think things through, uh, respect. Um, I know it's a, it's, it's a long list, but they all fit off each other, you know, and, and ultimately just a good human being. You know, I, I think that, you know, being a good human being has huge dividends um, and sometimes it's not immediate, um, you know, but, but I, 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 I emphasize a whole lot in terms of, you know, getting out there and making it happen for yourself, um, you know, self-sufficiency even though you are supported by a number of people, but there comes a time when you need to be as an individual self-sufficient. So I talk to him a, a lot about that. Um, you know, you know, you know, standing up for yourself, um, you know, and, 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 and knowing that it's all up to you and uh, no excuses. You know, like there's a statement that one of my colleagues always likes to make. He says, you can either have good results or you can have excuses. You can't have both. 
you know. So, so I like that a lot, and I always talk to him about it, you know, that, you know, a life of no excuses, you know, where integrity reigns supreme, where you stand by your way, then when you make mistakes, you admit it. And also, don't put yourself under too much pressure, you know. Allow yourself to make mistakes. If, if you fail, that's okay. You know, I'm the kind of person that I take risks, and if it doesn't work, I'm not shy to say, look, I messed up on this one. I could have done better. So I don't have that sense of having to be right all the time. And I hope that he can be able to do that and even better. So you say we need to um, uh, live with our mistakes. I mean, you, you built great, great success, but I'm sure that on the path uh, where that brought you here today, you also made your brilliant failure. So, so my, my favorite question is, Charles, what, what was your most brilliant failure? And, and most importantly, what did you learn from that? Yeah, you know, I took over um, MTN, MTN Zambia as, the, as, as a CEO um, in 2015. Super excited, um, you know, you know, you're given an opportunity to do the job that you've always wanted to do. You want to make a difference, you want to impress, and you make a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, um, though the economy was tough, the market was challenging, you know, but I could have done a few things better. You know, I could have priced my market better. <coughs> I could have maybe governed or entered the market slightly better. Um, you know, I thought I was a little bit too aggressive, um, you know, so... And the business suffered a little bit, you know, we experienced a little bit of, 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 of decline, you know, not, not even a little bit, you know, some decline in the business. But there were external forces, you know, around the economy, uh, we had challenges with the copper price and all of that. But there is still an element of a human factor there that I could have done a bit better. Um, and I've learned a lot in that, you know, I've learned that you need to take your time. Uh, you need to if you take, if you take a new job, take your time, apply your mind um, and pick key priorities. Don't try to boil the ocean because then you're going to sink. Um, you know, you know, so maybe take three things that will move the needle and focus on that as you learn other things. You know, don't take 10 things because when you take 10 things also, what happened is that uh, then you start to confuse everybody. Um, because, because you can handle ambiguity, you can deal with multiple issues at the same time. Doesn't mean that the people that work for you can do the same. So you need to make sure that how you deliver your message is a bit more rational. Uh, a little bit more careful in terms of how you communicate. So very, very big lessons on that. And I think I'm a much, much better leader because of that. In the preparation of this uh, conversation, I talked to your team and I asked them, does Charles have a, a personal mantra? And they came back, oh, yes, of course. And they said, it is less crowded at the extra mile. They were all <laughs> very outspoken about that. Can you explain what that mantra means for you? I, li I live by that, Hendrik. I picked this uh, on um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers. Um, you know, that it is completely uh, less crowded at the extra mile, you know. If you do more than anybody else, if you outwork the next person, if you outwork your competitor, if you put more hours, if you read more, if you research more than what is required, if you are required to move a project, maybe deliver it in three months, if you do it in two months, it sets you apart, it differentiates you, um, you know, and you'll find that then your work can be seen, um, you know, what you do, then you're almost picking yourself from the crowd. I mean, you know, I read Jack, Jack Wells' book, I think, straight from the gut. And there's a, there's a chapter in, one, in the book when it talks about picking himself from the crowd. And my definition of picking yourself from the crowd, it is the extra mile. You know, it is just going way beyond your call of duty. You know, I always tell my team that for you to be successful, you must go beyond your remit. You know, you must go to the finance guy and help him to put a spreadsheet together if you want the capex to be approved. You must do much more than what is required. If you do that, you'll find that you start to differentiate yourself. I completely live by that. In every area of my life, I completely believe that it is really, really less crowded at the extra mile. But remember, though, it's also lonely at the extra mile. 
because because you 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 can you can differentiate and in a way isolate yourself gets a bit lonely so you can easily be critiqued you can be actually be isolated you can be seen um, so it gets a bit complex it's not easy it's not all positive and you have to have the ability to be able to out you know to out to to outlast the, the, the challenges mm -hmm. because eventually it will pay dividends to be at extra mile but it's also uh, very challenging it's not an easy thing to do Charles, you have very outspoken visions on how to live a life and how to run a business and how to be a top professional. Who did you learn from? Who were the mentors, the guiding figures in your life? You know, Hendrik, like, like many, many of us, uh, I've interacted with um, fantastic people in my career. Um, and it's a whole lot of them. You know, today could be my, my group CEO, um, uh, Ralph Mupita, who's fantastic, strong work ethic, strong work ethic strong intellectual depth. It could be my group COO, Jens Schutt Bokholm. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, and amazing. I always say to him, half, half man, half machine. Uh, that's how I refer to him, you know, a super level of intellect, you know. So I talk about that. Um, it could be my, 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 my teacher, um, you know, my, my primary school teacher who believed in me so much. I still talk about what he told me when I was, you know, let's say nine or ten years old, who I'm still in contact with today you know, who taught wow. me the value of hard work and differentiation and going the extra mile, you know. It's many people. I, I take interest in a lot of people, you know, and I'm introverted, so it doesn't mean that I'll talk to you, but I'll learn from you. You know, I research a lot. I research a lot of people a lot, you know. Our former group CEO, Rob Shooter, I learned a lot from him. I researched him extensively, picked a lot of stuff from him. And for me, everyone, you know, can teach you. You know, it could be the, the security guard in the building, the lady who's a cleaner in the, in the building, you know, a number of people. So I don't have really one particular person. Um, you know, but also my wife, who is really my biggest cheerleader, uh, who is my gold standard, um, rely a lot in terms of her wisdom and counsel. Um, you know, so it's really a whole broad mix of people, different nationalities, different uh, economic classes of people um, who have really shaped my thinking have shaped and influenced my life. And I remain a student of this complex thing called life. What is the best thing that happened in your life? I mean, you grew up in a small village now. You're the group CIO, CTO of a big telco uh, company. What was, if, if out of the, all the good things that happened to you, what was really one of the best things that happened to you? Very difficult to answer. Um, I'll, 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 I'll name two. I'll say, I'll say at the beginning part of my life, um, my, my teacher who I picked from grade three uh, to I think grade six, remains the anchor um, in terms of shaping me, wow. you know, uh, because he told, he, you know, the way he, he drummed home the message of how he believed in me and what I could become, I still draw that, that inspiration even today as a group CTO, unbelievable, you know, so uh, amazing, amazing insight and amazing mentor. But in, my, in, my, in, my, in the latter part of my life, there are many people execs, but the biggest one has to be my wife. Um, you know, I, I think it's been a destiny enhancing uh, intervention in my life to have her. She's a reverend, she's a businesswoman, holds me to high standards, holds me to, high, to, to perform and to deliver my work, uh, completely interested in what I do, uh, asks me a lot of questions, gives me counsel, um, well-read and well-informed individual, so it enhances my capacity as well. Um, you know, she's a student of the world, studied abroad, and so she understands stuff. Um, and she has really made a tremendous impact um, in my life. And there are many other people, but if I have to pick two, those are the people I'll pick. Those are the two anchors. Okay. Now, you've had a lot of good things happen in your life, but like everybody, you also have bad moments and, and, and bad things that happen to you. 
Could you share maybe one of the worst things that have, has happened to you and, and, and how you overcome them, what you learned from them? I, I, I don't know, Hendrik, if, if that bad. I think many of us go through general hardship. Um, you know, I don't think mine is in any way specific. You know, we've, we all suffer loss. We've suffered loss, many of us. Um, you know, I grew up, um, you know, raised by a single parent. Um, you know, you can take that as a negative when take it as a positive, you know. <laughs> There are aspects mm -hmm. of my life when I look at it, I realize that it was an immense positive, but there are other aspects of my life when I believe it was a challenging negative. Um, but I was fortunate that I had a, you know, a community growing up in a village where the community which was unified and had a nice cohesion um, that able to help us, uncles who, were very as who assisted me. So yeah, if I have to stretch it, I'll say that. But again, this is not a story of Charles Molapis. This is a story of many uh, young, many South Africans, maybe particularly black South Africans who have gone through this and, and many who are still going through it. I'm not unique in that sense, um, and it's not something to celebrate, but it's something to acknowledge um, as one of the key shaping parts of my life. But I'm still not so sure if it was positive or negative. What, is the, what are the things that you fear in your life? Are you, what, what is it that you're afraid for? Henrik, I'm really scared of failure. And, and failure is not here failure of a project. It's not, if, it's not failure of launching or not launching 5G. I think not living up to my dreams and, and the expectation about who I believe I can become. Um, I'm, I'm scared of regression, um, you, know, um, you know, making bad decisions that sends me back. Um, very much uh, paranoid about that. Um, very, very, very worries me, keeps me occupied in terms of the decisions that I have to make. Um, do I make decisions that uh, truly will enhance my life and take me forward or they will, will they take me back um, so essentially, I'll say I never want to go back where I came from. Um, you know, that is something that I'm always clear and deliberate about. Mm -hmm. Now, you're clearly a very hardworking man. You always go the extra mile. You put in many, many hours. So, but what is the way that you relax? Where do you get back to yourself? And, and, and what are the things that you do to, um, to make you happy outside of your life? Oh, yeah. I'm outside a, of professional life. No, no fantastic. I'm a, I'm, I'm a cyclist. Um, so, mm -hmm. so, you know, I do, let's say, now it's winter, so it's a bit difficult. But I do my uh, uh, three-day cycling in a week. Um, you know, so my Saturdays and Sundays, normally I'll do my, my 80 to 100K on a Saturday. Then I'll do my recovery, wow. my recovery uh, ride, let's say, at 25 or 30 on a Sunday. Um, but now that it's winter, I, I, I box. Uh, so I do my three days of, of, of intense uh, 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 boxing. Um, yeah, I used to play golf, but um, not, not as much as I like. I think it consumes a little bit more time. So I sort of like, like cycling. I can start early in the morning. By 9 o'clock in the morning, I'm done. I can, do, I can get the day. And, and, and get things done. Um, but I also like spending time with my family. Uh, I spend a lot of time with, uh, with, with my family and then, you know, you know, where I find time to read a book. Uh, not much time um, in terms of still spending time in reading, but sports gives me, and, and cycling is just the, one of the most beautiful things that I like to do. So Charles, I would like to thank you um, uh, for, for this interview and, and finish off with this, uh, with this last question. I mean, these, these interviews, these leadership deep dives that we do from top CIOs, CTOs around the globe um, are watched by young, ambitious professionals. So what advice would you give to these younger individuals that also want to uh, be in, in your footsteps uh, one day and also be a group CIO, CTO of a big uh, enterprise? 
I, I, will, I will start um, with my mantra of the extra mile, Hendrik. You know, I, I, think, mm -hmm. I think it works. I'll tell every young, um, you know, as, as, aspiring executive, CIO, CTO or not, um, that it is truly less crowded at extra mile. That principle will not change. Um, you know, you reap what you sow. You know, if you really sow more, more reading, um, you know, more love, more attention, uh, invest a little bit more hours than the next person, um, I can tell you, it might not look like you will, but you'll definitely make it. It is absolutely guaranteed. Um, and then also read widely, uh, you know, broadly. Um, you read broadly, you know, don't just constrain yourself to the subject that you are interested in. Uh, be inquisitive and curious. Uh, get involved in the business. If you're an IT executive, network executive, overlay it with business. You know, understand the mechanics of the business. Um, you know, if you can do that, you'll be able to do that. And then, like I said, do much more than, than what's required. Um, reach out, you know, engage more, share more, and teach more. Um, you know, and I think if, if you do that, um, you know, I, it is really my view that for sure, for sure, you'll achieve that, uh, uh, your dreams without a doubt. And with that, Charles, thank you so much for thank your time. You. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to see you face to face and to have some great South African wine together and for maybe sure. have a dinner together. So that would be, that would be lovely. So thank you for your, for your wisdom, for sharing everything and, uh, and, uh, and, and for this great um, uh, conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Hendrik. Much appreciated.